From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, October 10th. Last month was all about the arts in Moab. New sculptures downtown, two brand new murals, an arts-focused street festival, and for a few days behind the Moab Arts Building, an installation called Junkyard Reverie invited us to imagine 200 years into the future. So when you first walk up, you see an arch and you see a sign that says, Welcome to Junkyard Reverie, a sanctuary of hope, 200 years in the future. Who are you and why are you here? The person asking me who I am and why I'm here, well, that's Rachel Toops. Toops, along with fellow artist Molly Marie Gurney, created this installation during the Red Rock Arts Festival. This archway, it's meant to act as a portal into the space. And before passing through this portal, Toops and Gurney ask you to uncleanse yourself with a pile of sand. Yeah, we were excited to have folks do a ritual before they enter the space to kind of get in the mindset. That's Gurney. When building this installation, Gurney and Toops imagined us, humans, 200 years from now, and the practices, rituals, and meaning we might create in a climate-altered world. So purity in so many religions has been so creates so much like shame and negativity for so many communities. So we were putting that on its head by saying, like, don't purify yourself, like, uncleanse yourself, like, get dirty, like, be yourself. And then as you're walking in, you'll see two pedestals with eight different objects um, on them. And each of those objects tie into the Wheel of Fortune. There's a sign directing you to spin it. The wheel might land on change, balance, wilding, truth. Each of these eight uh, segments on the wheel stands for a different kind of idea, something that, that you might want to incorporate in your life. And so you spin the wheel, and the wheel decides what is, what is the thing that you maybe need. I get absurdity twice. Absurdity again. It really wants you to have this card. Card in hand, Junkyard Reverie encourages you to enter the dialogue zone, where you can contemplate your card's meaning with a friend, or even better, a stranger. There are questions written out here to consider, meant to prompt meaningful discussions. What is something you're holding that needs to be witnessed? What do you hope for yourself and your community? The first night when we had two strangers ask the questions um, together, and they had like a beautiful moment of um, being in relationship in that. And they were just there for a very long time. That was really beautiful. Gurney says our present moment here on Earth is filled with cultural and existential uncertainty. She sees it in her friends, a younger generation who aren't sure that this place will be livable in the future. With this wave of eco-anxiety and climate grief, so many of my peers are not wanting kids like specifically because of climate change and don't want to bring it into a temporal world. Gurney understands that, but is able to imagine a very distant future where humans still make meaning in their lives. Gurney thinks, Whoever is born into this 200-year post-apocalyptic future will also find hope and also find meaning. As people wind their way through the installation, they interact with the space. There's a place where you can make an offering to ravens, an area where you can air grievances. One kid came up and he stood on the platform and he was like, my grievance is that I haven't been getting enough ice cream. (laughs) And then his little brother got up and he was like, I agree with my brother. I have not been getting enough ice cream. (laughs) Yeah, so people can air their grievances here. And it talks back.
Toops and Gurney say they've been enjoying how people interact with this space. They've seen silly moments, others that are more serious, and still others that are pure chaos. On the second day of the installation, most of it kind of broke. A huge gust of wind caused a giant shrine to topple, a ceramic bowl to shatter, and the archway portal smashed to the ground. And we all just watched it happen all together, and it all kind of happened in slow motion. We were like, whoa! (laughs) Folks got together to adapt what had broken. People held out their arms, recreating the archway. It was a symbolic moment, the weather smashing up the space and people adapting to it. The art outdid us, you know? No matter how um, disastrous the world will get, we'll adapt to create meaning in, in community. Adapt and continue continue on. The Junkyard Reverie installation was just that, an installation for a temporary time. But you can find pictures in the show notes of today's news. Our region continues to see impacts of a bountiful snowpack from last winter. One lingering effect, a bumper crop of fruit, which some are noticing in neighboring Colorado. In Telluride, KOTO's Gavin McGough finds that the harvest season is an opportunity to store up with another winter on the way. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, he brings us this report. I'm at an undisclosed location. We'll just say somewhere down valley. I've pulled over under an unblemished blue sky as the sun is waning a little bit in the west and catching all these shadows in the grass and in the trees to pick some apricots. In early September, as the summer and fall were beginning to greet each other in the mountain landscape, I heard a rumor of fruit trees down valley just below Telluride that were filling out with a bumper crop of apricots. Tipped off by a forager in the know, I drove 145 out of town one afternoon, pulled over alongside the road and the banks of the San Miguel River, and was greeted by old homestead trees planted and left long ago. And sure enough, ducking through long grass and through the mixture of shade and sun, I found their boughs decorated up and down with soft orange fruit, blushing pink where they've been growing in the sun and small enough to fit a half a dozen right in the palm of your hand. Within minutes, I've got a harvest, a whole bounty of small half-wild fruit. But what does one do with a bounty of apricots a whole bunch of fruit of any sort. I knew just who to call. Kathleen Morgan, a peripatetic fruit gatherer and a local advocate of all things pickled and preserved. Morgan says her vast knowledge of the local fruit landscape comes originally from the community. Word of mouth. 10, 12 years ago, I had a pickle and jam company. And by making product and being in the farmer's market, people would come up to me and say, oh my gosh, have you seen such and such tree? Have you gotten this fruit? Hey, would you come and pick my apple tree? 
meeting these fellow enthusiasts, Morgan recalls, Open my eyes to all this fruit that's around us just a little bit below Telluride. In Telluride, you can get crab apples um, on a good year as long as there's not a freeze in the spring. And then people told me about the apricots in Placerville. And they only happen, obviously, on a good year, on a year where there's enough moisture and they don't get frozen. And I mean, they, they, they can get frozen in June and then there are no apricots. So this year is off the charts. This gorgeous outpouring of apricots is a special moment, a bounty fed by an enormous snowpack last winter and fruit that was spared a late deadly frost, then nursed all summer by the long days of sun. Faced with too much fruit to simply eat fresh, Morgan takes the season's bounty and puts it up for the long months to come. So say, for example, I'm making a peach sauce or peach apricot sauce or some applesauce. I'm going to cook that fruit down but I, and add some spice to it, but I want it at a good temperature. Again, not a rolling boil, but I want it at a good simmer. And then um, I use a metal funnel and put all my product into jars. When the jam is made and the jars are hot and full, it's time to preserve them. So I have a water bath that sits on two burners. It's rectangular. It comes out of the Amish community in Pennsylvania. And I heat up water to a simmer. You don't need a rolling boil. Then, depending on altitude, can size, and the product in the jars, Morgan lets them simmer for however long the recipe instructs. The heat kills bacteria and activates the seal on the jar. Involving scalding hot water, tongs moving slippery glass jars, and anxiety about bacteria, the process of canning can be intimidating, says Morgan. Yeah, people are definitely come to canning with a lot of fear that they're going to blow things up or kill people. All, all good fears to have. <laughs> <laughs> but a good recipe can go a long way. At the base, I have um, recipes that come from cooperative extensions. They're the most reliable source of scientifically based preservation methods. You can find information about your region's university extension office. Then, armed with a bounty of information and a bevy of fruit, you can stock your pantry all fall for the coming winter. This is Gavin McGough. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Montana, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, October 10th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.